We're driving now from San Jose back to the hotel with Pierre, founder and CEO. I don't like the CEO term. What, oh, you don't like CEO? No. I'm like the... Whatever. I'm the guy who started Chameleon. Okay. The guy who started Chameleon. <laughs> Welcome to SKUcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs in the promotional products industry. SKUcast shines a light on our industry's best work, features maverick personalities, and discusses what's really involved in running a modern promotional products business. SKUcast is the official podcast of Common SKU. When Pierre Martichaud and his late business partner, Emmanuel Marchand, co-founded Chameleon-like in 1998, they fought against the trend, insisting on actually making products from scratch in their small California-based facility rather than outsourcing the manufacturing overseas. Over 20 years later, they are still considered one of the most creative brands in the industry, constantly cranking out some of the most imaginative journals and notebooks today. A radical entrepreneur at heart, Pierre leads an incredible team, including product designer Daniel Busato, marketing manager Alex Sims, national account executive Jasmine Keene, and many more. Hi, friends. I'm Bobby Leehu, the chief content officer at CommonSQ, and Mark Graham, CommonSQ's chief platform officer, and I had the privilege of visiting with Pierre and his incredible team in their Gilroy, California factory headquarters, just 20 miles south of Silicon Valley. Chameleon Like's product is custom, with an astounding amount of handwork and TLC involved in their projects. It was an enlightening tour and showed just how imaginative and inspiring this business can be. After touring the factory, talking with employees, watching the creative process at work, we drove back to San Jose and recorded our conversation with Pierre while on the road. This episode is brought to you by CommonSkew, the effortless business management platform that powers you to process more orders and grow your business. To learn more or to start your free trial, visit commonskew.com. And now to our conversation on the road with Pierre Martichaud of Chameleon Like. We're right in your car. This is about, what, a 45-minute commute? Yep, that's about it, yeah. Your license plate reads, journal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was surprised it was free when I applied for it, you know, that right. it was still available. I'm right. like, well, that's it. That's it. Yeah. How did you get into the business? I was working for a French manufacturer who was doing artist sketchbooks, you know, like notebooks and... Um, kind of caught on the fact that, you know, writing was kind of already coming back. And that was like in the first part of uh, the first dot-com boom, actually, in the late 90s. And then uh, one of my wife's friend was a distributor and she saw our stuff. She's like, wow, you should, you know, totally sell that to our industry. And at the time, you know, journals were not really popular. As a matter of fact, when we would go and show them, people would go, this is great, but where are the dates? Because people were expecting planners. planners, you know, for banks and, you know, and we're like, no, no, there's no dates. It's people take notes and uh, that that's kind of how it came in. Yeah. Why chameleon-like? All right. So at first we started it as chameleon books and journals. And the idea was the chameleon adapts, right? And then the other idea is I'm always being very drawn to color. You know, if you look at our product, our materials, it's always a lot of vibrant colors. And I told you the story about the first Apple translucent bright colors um, that were not very, very big in the corporate market at that time. And then 
we did a big mistake. We're like, okay, we're good with the journals. We're going to expand. We're going to go out of our lane. We're going to introduce more stuff. And then we said, well, then we have to change our name from Chameleon Books and Journals to Chameleon Like. And we introduced a line of desktop toys, you know. <laughs> and the reason you look at me with this very puzzled look is because you don't have any idea of what I'm talking about because it was a total failure. I mean, and a costly one, but a good lesson. And uh, it goes back to what Renya says, um, you know, from brand, is it brand aid, right? Renya yeah, right. is like, stay in your lane. So we kept the name Chameleon-like, but, but we corrected and now we just stick to what we do, which is journals and notebooks. Doesn't that run counter to what you're seeing many suppliers do, which is expand their product categories? So it does, but we're too small to play that game in a way. Uh, but it's worked out for us. You know, we go deeper in what we do best. I mean, one of the company I look, look up to, and they're much larger than we are, is uh, ETS. You know, everybody does drinkware, but they're the best at it. And any distributor will tell you that. That's good. You know, they're the best at what they do, yeah. best imprint, latest trends. And that's what we try to be for the notebook um, category. So. Every business has a watershed moment, either a high water mark or a low water mark that determined the course of their future or almost ended their business altogether. What were one or two of Chameleon Likes moments? So I talked to you about that whole thing where we got out of our lane and we got a, a humbling lesson. I mean, I think we might be at just now at another one, which is, you know, finding the confidence of what we bring to the table and... Uh, Without being arrogant, you know, always working at being better at what we do, not being obsessed by growth. I mean, that's another thing is I think some business are obsessed. We need to grow. It's very American, by the way. We need to grow, grow, grow. Bigger, bigger, right? more, more, more. And uh, someone said, is the, the founder of Jack Nidell said, you know, um, revenue is for the ego, right? And then margin is what you take to the bank. Uh, but even without taking it on monetary terms, you know, it's it's just being good at what you do and, and obviously enjoying what you do rather than just becoming bigger. Yeah. Why, why do you think there is that push for growth at growth's sake? Good question, Mark. And by the way, a lot of that growth that you see out there is what they call external growth which is company buying other companies, right? So they grow by gobbling up. That's not, what we try to do is organic growth, which is way more difficult. Acquired growth. Um, you know, I'll tell you, um, I went to, I don't know if you were for the, in, I think it was in Austin, the, the PPAI leadership conference. And uh, they were talking about the industry and all that. And David Nicholson from PCNA was doing a little outlook. And he was saying how a lot of companies are consolidating and growing by consolidating. And he said, I hate to tell you, but that's not a good sign. You know, that's not a sign of a healthy, healthy industry. So I think the reason what you see that push for growth, Mark, is because the industry is kind of mature, you know. And so all they do is gobbling up and you have to try to be the biggest you know, in, a, in an industry that might be mature and maybe even declining a little bit. I'm talking about the industry, not the marketplace. 
What's the difference between the two? So that's something that Paul uh, Bellantone, you know, defines very well. The industry is PPI, the model of the supplier and the distributor and the end user and the trade show and the rules that we have and the coded prices, that's the industry. The marketplace is everything promotional, everything that has a logo. And that includes people going online, that includes you know, new buyers going directly to factories, whatever you call it, which operates outside of what we call the industry. Yeah, good point. So if you had to define what character traits constitute a successful supplier, now when I ask this question, I'm kind of thinking of these young suppliers who are just getting into the business that you can encourage after what, 20 plus years now? If you had to define what character traits constitute success in this business, what would they be? Yeah, that's a, you know, I wonder when I started the business, I think it was easier than it is now. I think that the entry ticket is a little higher now because again, we're not, the industry is not growing, but the bottom line is the distributors and the customers are still very willing to see something new. So if you come up with something new and a fresh attitude, you're going to be successful. I mean, have you heard of pop promos? They were not existing like two, three years ago. And they're very successful. And young guys, you know, they don't care about the rules. You know, they just they just had a cool concept, technology being a big part of it. I mean, if I was a young guy, I'm like, you know, get together as a geek. You know, that that's what it is now. I love that comment about how it is at at one hand difficult to become a supplier today because there are high barriers to entry. You've got to, you know, bring in inventory. You've got to invest in product development. You've got to invest in technology. You've got to invest in marketing. And it's expensive to break into this industry. I think a lot more so as a supplier than as a distributor, I might add. So... On one hand, I, I recognize what you're saying there, Pierre, and I think at the same time, it's really interesting to see how uh, easy is maybe not the right word, but maybe how quickly you can break into this industry as a new supplier if you have a fresh story and a fresh narrative. And using like Pop as a great example, uh, Rumi. Uh, was a great example. Um, the reason I say was is because they've now shifted and, and done a partnership with Gemline. But when they were a pure play promotional company, they, they, they came out of nowhere because of this almost disregard for the rules and conventions. Um, Jason and Mike at Origadio, great example of, uh, of a very product-driven company, very uh, personality-driven company that's been able to come in out of nowhere. Um, and I think that's really exciting that there's this uh, this new crop of entrepreneurs that are coming in as a supplier. And I love the fact that the marketplace is embracing them. And, it, and clearly, people need companies like Pop because they're coming in with cool color and quick production turns and free virtuals and free specs and all this stuff. Um, Strideline. Stridelines is another good example. Yeah. So there's a the very dynamic group of supplier entrepreneurs that are coming out right now, and and I think what you're seeing is just there's almost this re- disregard for some of the established conventions just coming in and just giving it. So and then the one thing, the one thing they all have in common is very young young people coming in. 
in our marketplace, right? And so what I'm trying to do is I'm not that young anymore. It's, it's like, and I, that would be my advice to the established suppliers, empower your young employees or team members or managers. You know, that's what Jim did, you know, at Numo, you know, with But you're Melissa. doing as well, Pierre, sorry to jump in, but you're doing as well with people like Jasmine. So I had the chance to drive down with her this morning and didn't know that she had originally applied and got a job as, you, you know, your office manager and shipping coordinator yeah, yeah. 10 years ago and how you empowered her to move up the ranks. And Bobby, you were much the same way with Merv, right? You were in the shipping department, coming into the high school, and then you eventually led the company, right? It's pretty amazing. You know, it was good to see Merv empowered you, right? And I think that that's, that's exciting. Chameleon has been in business for 20 years. Yeah, you heard from a prospect at PBAI Expo this statement. I heard you guys were up and coming. Now, how do you stay fresh in the business after 20 years? So much so that people think you're a new supplier. And I know you hate the word supplier. New manufacturer, new maker. Yeah. You know, for sure, when I started the business, and I'm sure you guys have been through that and you get that guy on the phone who tells you I've been in business for seven years I've been in business for 10 years and I'm like I never want to be that guy right so I'm like we're 20 years young you know we I hate the fact that we're been in business for 20 years in a way you know I kind of resent that uh, and I miss the day where we're like brand new so how do you stay new and fresh you just, you know, and the other thing that Mark said, or it's like, oh, Pierre, it looks like you want to be an outsider, you know? And damn right, you know, I want to be an outsider and I want to be a newcomer, you know? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to let no kid disrupt what I'm doing. <laughs> so, so. There you go, there's yeah, the knives. Exactly. So, we, um, so what we do is, you know, we always go back to the drawing board. We are we always looking at what's coming new. You know, if a product, if, if my best selling product, you know, as a as a as a any company, you look and you get your company for valuation. Let's say you want to sell your company, they will look at your best selling product. If that best selling product is more than two and three years old, they will knock you out for that. They will they will take off points. You know, so that's you always want to and then you. It's fun. Plus, it's fun, you know. And and I think our industry, you know, I heard I think on on what podcast the R and D, you know, research and development. They said, oh, it should be, um, you know, rip off and duplicate. And maybe it's my European background, but the European really don't. They don't look up to that, you know. They want to be the initiators. There's a pride of being the creator of something and it's one thing to get inspired and I'm all for that you know we, we don't make up stuff out of nothing we need inspiration but to just knock something off it just it just doesn't get us going you know so I, I, I didn't have this question in my list of questions but I always like asking this question so that we can get a glimpse of what you do on a day to day basis what's on your desk right now us coming in today, you've got a couple of distributors coming in. You were hosting us. That's kept you a little bit busy. But what else is top of mind for you right now? Well, a lot of what is on my desk is the stuff I'm procrastinating on, right? 
Mark, are you like that? Where like I have my account reconciliation, accounting stuff, stuff that I should be doing, but I, that I'm not, that it's just waiting there. Um, so that's that. Um, so I would, I would argue with you that what's on my desk is representative of what I don't want to do. And that's why it's on my desk. <laughs> okay. That's the best answer to that question I've gotten so that's far. Good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Well, when we were walking out back of, of your factory, out of the, out of the manufacturing there, you made an interesting comment about not necessarily liking running a business, but you love the product. You love the ideation behind it. What do you look at that gets you excited? Is it a product that you just developed? Is it the product you just developed and then you're looking at the sales nine months later? What is it that you walk in and you go, oh my God, that's amazing. Yes. And also you love the, I told you so, right? When you come up with something, it's like, ah, and then finally it sells. You're like, yes, you know. Could that be the vegan leather that you're, yeah. you're working with right now? Exactly. That's okay. a good example. And, and we had some people really so like, what, vegan leather? Like, what are you talking about? And then you believe in it. And then sometimes it turns up, you know, and you're like, yes, you know, and it's, you know, for all that big data, talk about big data and all that. I still believe in instinct, you know, I mean, I, I, I do, you know, and it, whether it's design or people, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm maybe old fashioned that way. We're in the Silicon Valley area. Yeah. What is one of the leaders in custom journals and notebooks doing 20 minutes south of Silicon Valley? Has digital killed paper yet? Yeah. That's, that's another thing, you know, when I talk to distributors, I tell them, hey, you know how when you go out socially and people tell you, what do you do for a living, right? I'm like that's and then you'll say well I put logo on pens and whatnot and like and they're like can't really figure it out well for me you know when I go out socially in Silicon Valley and I tell people that I make paper notebooks you know journals they look at me like I'm like something like what what you know what are you doing <laughs> yeah it's like and uh, especially when the tablets came out and all that you know when the tablets came out we used to do meeting all of a sudden everybody come with their tablets um and I'll, then what I do is a, I go in the sample room that you went to and I look at the samples and the end users are Google and LinkedIn and Facebook, yeah. you know, I mean, overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly. And I'm like, I'm good. You know, I mean, that, that paper is here to stay. Thanks to the, thanks to the digital age, paper has, be, paper has become more special, you know. 10, 20 years ago, the paper people in PPI were the people doing the scratch pads, yeah. right? And the three ring binders, yeah. you know, and those guys are gone, but we're here. And, and, yeah. and as you well know, I mean, we're, we're good niche categories. Right, but, but it's also a, a, a way for someone to express their personality. I yeah. think, you know, a journal compared to, say, a, a three-ring binder. That's a good point. So I think that there's, I think if you can tap into how someone feels about themselves and how they want to associate themselves with a brand, then I think you'll always be in a good space if you can play in that world. Journals, they carry this essence to them, something tactile that appeals to our senses. And the Russian poet Pasternak said that a book is a living being. A journal can serve as a living reminder of our days, even our meetings, for the essence of our days. So could it be that journals have endured out of some sense of a need for permanence? 
So another way of asking this, we've reduced everything down for quick consumption. Our music is digital, our movies, our food, processed and personal, ephemeral. Does a journal retain its superiority due to this desire to hold on to our thoughts in a concrete way? Does it mean something far more intimate to us? And I know this is a crazy esoteric question. But does it mean something typical to us? To you. <laughs> yeah, typical. Does it mean something to us far more than we give it credit for? And this has a lot to do with your success. I mean, I think so. I mean, I, I, I do think so. And I like the fact that journals, I mean, I have a six-year-old and she loves nothing more than jotting things down as she's learning how to, you know, write and read. And um, I look at older people and they like to do that too. So, I mean, I think it's got also that universal intimate value if that's even something that is possible i do think so i mean there's a bunch of studies also that shows that when you write you memorize better so i have a twofold question number one what are you most excited about that's going on in our industry and or marketplace answering that from two different perspectives and then what are you most concerned about going on with our industry and it's really the same thing right it's like you know you're the, uh, what concerns you should be what excites you, mm. right? Can you? So, well, what do you mean by that? Well, what what the challenges are, which the industry is going to face some major challenges. That's where the opportunity is. I mean, it's kind of a common thing, right? So, for me, it's the walls. You know, we talked about it a little bit earlier. It's that whole model. I'm the distributor. This is my client. My client wants this. And then all of a sudden, we're like the factory down there. And I think that is all going to, I think that's all going to become really blurry. Everybody's going to have their place, you know, and their relevance. But it's not because of a certain rule or certain code, you know, that the price means with a certain discount. I mean, I think that, I think that is going to be gone really quick, really fast. And and the challenges for the distributors and all of us, the suppliers as well, to understand that we're going to have to do things a little differently. It's not going to be relying on a secret code that people know something is on an R or on a C. I mean, that 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 can't be it. Right now, there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure on suppliers to capitulate to things like rebate programs and strong. Agreements, some would say, are strong arm agreements. So let's talk about buying groups for a minute. Some of the best buying groups, though, do tend to want to create more of a strength in partnership as opposed to being over the head with a billy club. But what has been your response to this traditionally, and what is it now as you're trying to respond to some of this pricing pressure that's coming from distributors? And that goes back to growth, right? So at first, we had like a growth model. We need to grow. We need to grow. So then you need to kind of... What is it called? Mark told me one time, pay to pl- pay to play or something like that, right? Where yeah. you you pay to play. We're not in that perspective anymore so much. My th- and I do see a pushback. I mean, I do see a pushback from a lot from some fellow suppliers. You know where you know it's like everything, right? It's that's when is enough enough and when is when it's become too much. Um, I do think that. It's all about what you bring to the table. And I told you um, how um, an end user show was a good example. And end user show has become this thing where as suppliers, we're very, very solicited to participate to end user shows. And one of the things is you pay for the table, you pay to play, then you bring self promo and then 
you know, you bring someone to show your product. And my new thing is, you know, we bring a lot to the table, no pun intended, so we shouldn't have to pay for that, you know? And, and that's a small example, and rebate is the same. But I think all that is, is starting to to balance. Even big, even big ones. I mean, I think I was talking to Catherine, and she said that even she hears like, the big suppliers are starting to say, that's it, you know? Yeah. At some point, uh, we can't just be paying for everything. Right. So, so Pierre, I want to I want to jump in and ask you a question about about what you just said and comparing that to your relationship with us at Common Skew. So, with Common Skew, you'll have an opportunity to be involved in our events, and you've been very generous to support them. And there's a a, a financial element to that. How is it that we fall into a different category compared to uh, what you're talking about with other larger distributor groups where you feel like you're getting fleeced? Or other service providers, right? And I tell you, one of the best things, Mark, that I heard is I think Alex told me, wow, actually distributors have to pay to go to your events. Is that correct, Mark? That's correct, yep. So, and I don't know if you want to share, but it, it, it's not like $25, right? They, they do pay a pretty fair amount to participate to your events. That was so refreshing, you know, that first, you know, they have, a, they have skin in the game, you know, and that they would want to go there. And that right there, that tells me there's no entitlement, right? And, and there, it's no... It's not just by chance that you get those distributors at Common Street that we want to work with. Because it's not the one that demand from us, you know, demand everything. They paid. Just like, okay, we paid a sponsor, we see a return in it, right? right. But they paid also to participate. And I do believe they pay um, to get your platform. And, and then, then I feel I'm in, I'm in good company. Right. Maybe there's more of a sense of shared investment in something that everyone believes in, which ultimately has to translate into quality that drives business your way. So that, that's an interesting observation. I mean, the day that Commons Q tells, okay, suppliers pay and the distributors are for free, then for me, that I think you would lose a little bit of your soul there. Uh, I think you're right about that. I'm not. I'm not sure that day would come. <laughs> it's expensive to build software. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be the easy girl on the farm. What do you wish more distributors knew about Chameleon Like? Well, I mean, what I wish they would knew is what I hope you you saw and kind of uh, see is how much. Um, how much work, you know, and I think um, when I showed you, I told you, hey, you know, we could automate more. We could um, have a more streamlined process and more industrial if you want, but then we would lose in flexibility and our ability to do a lot of custom work. You know, I mean, when we do the journal for your event, Mark, I mean, it's not a, a product off the shelf with a logo on it. Uh, there's a lot of work that go into it, and it's not like we're doing 5,000, 
either, right? And so um, we're able to do that. So I think what what I wish they would know is really how much of the, the, the hands are touching the product, you know? And that's why we can't do, you know, a spec sometimes in just 24 hours. Pierre, what do you think about the consolidation that's happening within the industry as it relates to smaller uh, niche-oriented suppliers that are either uh, getting out of the business altogether and just partnering with larger suppliers or just outright selling to larger suppliers. Is that is that a good thing from uh, a product development, creativity, and efficiency standpoint? Like, t- tell me about the good and the bad of that. Well, there's no good. <laughs> so, so no good. Uh, <laughs> there's no, for me, it's, it's, it's bad. It's like that the whole consolidation, everybody's doing the same thing. I mean, I used to start my presentation to say, hey, do you remember when Logomark was just doing luxury clocks and watches, right? Oh no, Suida. Suida was just watches and Logomark was just a luxury thing. And then Gemline, they were just doing bags. Do you remember that? And then Leeds was doing portfolios. And now they all do everything, you know? And, And then like, so then it becomes a price thing and then why that tiered, you know. So for me, it's size. We, we talked about it. Size and creativity don't get along. Get Don't get around that, you know. Size and creativity do not get along. So so let, let, me, let me jump in here, play devil's advocate. So you get a call tomorrow, uh, Pierre, from the CEO of a large supplier in our industry. And they say, Pierre, love what you're doing. You've created a really unique category in the industry. We need this category at big supplier XYZ. And we're prepared to pay you some ridiculous sum, some ridiculous multiple. Because they're flush with VC capital or private equity funding. And you'd be stupid to turn it down. What do you do? Well, first, I already had my midlife crisis, so I know that money is not <laughs> going to make me happier, right? But um, the, the thing is, first, that call probably came, right, a couple of times. Uh, we're lucky enough that we developed a little niche and we have a little bit of reputation. But for me, no. I mean, I would. I, I, we are fiercely, there's two things. We're fiercely independent, and I believe in the team that you had lunch with. You know, and it's Jasmine and Alex and Sophia and Stephanie and Bradley. And nothing is going to make me more happy than for them to take the baton and, 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 and take this company where it needs to go. And then they can do whatever. But that that's that's my goal, I think, more than just selling. Yeah. Uh, but that being said, if I get that call, I wouldn't tell my wife because she probably would not agree with me. <laughs> She'd be like, come on, let's go. But I, but I have a question for you too, Mark. If we can just turn it around, because I mean, I'm a big admirer of of, of Commons Q and what you've done, and I am a little bit uh, sometimes not frustrated, but wondering about all the um, the service provider and the consultants sometimes that in our industry is also trying to charge 
suppliers. It's not even only the, the distributors. Yeah. And then I saw that you're partnering with PPAI for the next Q camp. And so I'm like, I'm really curious, you know, and I'm going back to you on that. How do you stay fresh? Right now you're the, you know, you're the, you're the pretty girl at the bar, right? Like everybody wants to be associated with you. Everybody wants to date you. How are you gonna? How are you gonna nurture that? And are you gonna not become, you know, essentially what ESP or ESI? Is? Right. I feel our mission at Commons View is to create an amazing business that always takes into consideration customer experience and. I am a believer that if your core values never change and the reason why you started the business don't change, then I don't think adding more people and more volume into your ecosystem is necessarily a bad thing, particularly in the world of software where one can scale actually quite easily. Um, it's, you know, once you've built the very expensive plumbing, you can add more licenses onto it with and it's really just a numbers game at that point so so the so i think the entrepreneur in me gets excited about the fact that there's the ability to scale the uh, artist or the persnickety uh, creative in me can be quite stubborn when it comes to how it is that we are going to grow and so you give you gave this example specifically around PPAI and SKUCAMP. And it's interesting that when we were talking about whether there was a partnership opportunity with PPAI quite some time ago, the conversation, the very first words out of both of our mouths was this was going to be Common SKU's event. PPAI was going to be involved. PPAI would be involved only as someone that was enthusiastic about what it is that we were doing, about the community that was being built, the content that was being built, but the organization and planning uh, of the event was entirely common skews. And I, I make that very clear with every supplier who comes on board that we're going to obviously treat them like gold, but at the end of the day, they need to understand that this is ultimately about the community and that the community is way too smart to know if they're being sold or if they're being, you know, sort of bamboozled. So I think that that's my answer. Now, whether we're successful with that, you know, <laughs> let's talk after, after New Orleans. But I think, I think it's important to have a strong DNA. I think it's very important to have strong value set and a mission as to why you're doing something. And the other reality, this is my last point here, is that we want to be representative of what's happening in the industry, right? So Chameleon is just as much a factor in this industry as PPAI. The question is, how can we bring all these parties, whether they're radical or conservative, all together in one shared purpose such that the distributor benefits? I think Commons Q, because of that community thing, you you can you can really have a very important role where you can be you can be so relevant you know which you are already 
But right now, I'm going to be, I'm going to challenge you, Mark. Right now, the reason you're relevant is because you're new. Yeah. You're the new thing. Right. You're the, you're in the easy part, right? right. Do, do you feel like you're in the new, th we're, we're talking several years in business now, too. Is it possible that Common Skew has some similar DNA to Chameleon-like when you say, when the prospect walked in your booth and said, you right. guys are yeah, like fresh, yeah. innovative, and you've been in business for 20 years. Maybe there's some similarities there. Yeah. Now, so I suppose Common Skew has not been around as long as, as you have, Pierre, with has 20 years. But if we've been around, let's say, seven years, let's call it seven years. I mean, it's certainly not like brand, brand new. But I, I think that what you're ultimately saying is... How do, how do we keep it new and fresh mm -hmm. so that people don't go, oh, gosh, there's another stupid SKUCon event day before Vegas. Now, like that used to be exciting. And now it <laughs> and, and now it's been copied. It's now it's been copied by all the players in the industry. What is it that we do? I think that's inevitable. And I think it's exciting because it allows us to think about what's new and what's next. So uh, maybe the way that I answer that up here because I gave the example of the, on the event side is that that's already happened with the software. We have had several parts of common skew that have been lifted by much larger deep pocketed competitors in our industry. And we look at it and say, well, we've got two choices here. We can either get mad and stomp our feet and, and feel sorry for ourselves or we can say, well, hang on a second here. Let's look at how we see the future and how it is that we're developing products and continue to look forward. And at the end of the day, if we didn't have that, we didn't have that mindset in terms of looking forward and constantly improving and reinventing the platform, then we would just sit back, back on our laurels about products that we had built in 2013 and and, and you'd stay boring. So I, I would say this, I, I would say this, this, constant curiosity and commitment to keeping it fresh is something that's very core to how we think. I mean, talk to me in 10 years. I don't know. Maybe we're crusty and bored by that point, but I, I don't, I don't think that would happen when you look at the distributor business as precedent. And I don't, I, I think that, I think that with right sleeve, which is my first business, I don't think right sleeve has ever been as creative or as energized as it is right now. What's interesting is that, and I, as I say that, as I'm not involved, you know, on the day to day as much as I once was, but there's that DNA that's in that company. And that DNA starts from the, from the people who started it. What I would do is I would say, you know what, skew camp, we're doing maybe four more, that's it. You said that's it. After four years, I don't want to skew camp anymore. Just stop it. And you tell that to people. Yeah. First, people are gonna fucking die going for it. And then, and then, and you know, that's after idea. four years, five years, like that's it. We'll do something else. Yeah, that's great. You know what? In an industry, you're milking, right? Yeah, in an industry where we've beaten these events, to, yeah, that's a really good idea. Uh, it's but, interesting to think about that. Yeah, you might have missed your calling. Those questions were so good. I think you could be a chief content officer. No, I was gonna ask you actually. Uh, I was gonna ask okay, uh, hang on a Bobby. Second. I was okay. gonna ask Bobby a question. I've got yeah. a question back yeah. for you. Yeah. Okay. So Pierre, you. Uh, so I want you to give. I want you to give me some advice. So, I'm. You. You say that we're. That we, that we have n uh, this newness about us, 
that is right now a competitive advantage of sorts. What advice do you have for me and Bobby as common skew to keep it fresh and exciting given that you have been at this a little bit longer than we have and have seen maybe a trajectory of your own? Well, there's some things also. I mean, you, you, you might have to edit, but I mean, it's, it's, look at the people that you um, associate with. That's important. You know, I always say, you know, I'm, you know, the, I love to work with like up and coming clients and whatnot. And then you're doing that. You know, I see the, the speakers at your event. That's your display. That's for me who comments to you as who are they putting on stage? Right. And uh, I was really impressed, you know, uh, by, you know, 80 percent of them uh, or 90 percent, you know. But that's try to try to get people who come with an angle. You know, try to get people, that's, just never be comfortable, obviously, you know, always pretend everything is going to crash tomorrow, um, yeah, but I don't, have, I, I'm not big on giving advice, I prefer to receive advice, <laughs> but, I, but I can tell you that it is something that uh, I know I think about and Catherine thinks about a lot is this idea of how one balances this this desire to create a big impact in, in your business with also um, having a business that generates great financial rewards too, right? Um, and I think... I think over the years, we've often walked away from things that could have been quite lucrative, but didn't feel right. And so I, I think it's just, how, how do you balance ambition with art? Well, yeah, art, right? It's the art and science of oh, marketing, art and, and science of sales. And, 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 and advice is don't follow advice. So, you know, when there was that big financial meltdown, was it like 2008? You know, I can't tell you how many distributors and, and you know, people told me, you know what, Pierre, you gotta go, go the hit way, you know, hit promo, like go, you gotta go cheap. You gotta go, you know, people have no money, blah, blah, blah. And we did the opposite. Right. We literally did the opposite. We're like, no, I'm for, for, for that. And it worked out really, really, really well. So instead of going cheap, we told them, we're not cheap, but you're not wasting your money with us, you know. <laughs> and so that's, you know, at some point, you know, you got to, whatever advice you get, it's not necessarily, it's the, the people, the, the just noise, you know, and, and, and you, and you got to take chances. But yeah, I, I get your, your thing about making, I mean, at some point you need to turn a profit. And we always have, you know, a chameleon, we... We've always have turned a profit yeah. by sticking to a gun, adding value, doing what's hard, you know, which is, and, uh, and being different. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of SKUcast. Be sure to keep up with our latest content by subscribing to SKUcast on iTunes or to our blog at community.commonskew.com. Until next time, friends. Thanks so much for listening.